Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Religion Today with Martin Tanner, a weekly look at religion and spirituality here at home and around the world. Now, here's your host, Martin Tanner. Welcome. This is Religion Today. I'm your host, Martin Tanner. Today in studio with me, wonderful guest. He's been here before, Professor Karen Muelstein, who's an Egyptologist. There aren't too many people on the planet with PhDs in Egyptology, and there are even fewer of them who are Latter-day Saints. And so we're fortunate and blessed to have you uh, here in studio today. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Today, I was hoping that we could talk about the Book of Abraham, as we discussed before we got on the air today. From time to time, I get emails from people who have run across something on the internet that concerns them about the Book of Abraham, and they wonder about the truth of the church or about Joseph Smith's real ability Mm. to translate, or perhaps they just don't really understand what the Book of Abraham is. I heard somebody mention that they thought it was part of the Joseph Smith translation, which is which is not right. It's it's a very unique kind of scripture. So for our listeners, tell them where the book of Abraham came from and, and how it's unique scripture for us. Uh, I'm happy to do that. Uh, and I think it's an important topic. There is a, a, a lack of information and a, a lot of myths and disinformation about the book of Abraham. So the short answer for where it came from is that Joseph Smith received some papyri. Well, he acquired some papyri in July of 1835. And as he was uh, translating this papyri by inspiration, he and everyone that was involved in the process acknowledged that this is by divine inspiration. He didn't have the ability to translate Egyptian on his own. Uh, But through inspiration, as he's translating it, he says that it contains the writings of Abraham and of Joseph. We actually never get him working, uh, at least no record of him working on the writings of Joseph, but we have lots of records that indicate he was working on the writings of Abraham. And so he translates those writings. Now, there's some debate as to whether the writings were actually on the papyri or whether the papyri just served as a catalyst for inspiration for him to open his mind and receive uh, a revelation about genuine writings by Abraham, something similar to the Joseph Smith translation where he's looking at a King James Bible and then he receives inspiration for some things that aren't even in the King James Bible, uh, but that were genuine writings of Moses and of other prophets. Uh, so we're not sure about that, but it seems like he, he seems to think they're on the papyri. So that's a that's a pretty good assumption. Uh, we have to say it's an assumption, but we can go along that way. So the book of Abraham are 
inspired translation of the writings of Abraham as received by Joseph Smith. And that's the the short and and pretty much all we can really fully confidently say. Why would we believe that this is genuine ancient writings? Before, again, we got onto the air uh, today, we talked about Robert Rittner, Egyptologist, uh, (laughs) Charles, a few other people that, that their names are ones that church members and others might run into on the internet who have said negative things. How does someone go about responding to those kinds of criticisms or maybe stated a different way? Why would somebody be able to um, maintain their belief that this is a genuine work in the face of comments by an Egyptologist? That's a, a great question again, and, and we can answer briefly here. Uh, there are lots of articles you can get about it. I just had a, a little booklet called Let's Talk About the Book of Abraham come out where I'll address – I address a little more in depth than we will hear two issues or two ways I want to two, – two aspects of what you just asked that I'd like to address. So um, one of those is that we need to be very clear about what we are capable of doing and what we are not capable of doing with different avenues of learning. So just as an example – um, I have academic training, uh, and we all have intellectual abilities, and so we should use those intellectual abilities. We should use what academic training we have. We should use every bit of data we can find, every way of investigating and analyzing we can come up with. We should pursue this with all of our might and our mind uh, to try and figure out, uh, using what we could call the academic process, what we know about the Book of Abraham, what we know about the, those teachings, how it works with the ancient world. Can it help us understand the ancient world? Can the ancient world help us understand that? Do they contradict? Those kinds of things. Yet at the same time, because of the limited amount of data we have, there's only so far that can go. Uh, We also have another way of learning. This is called epistemology. There are different ways of knowing or learning. One of the other ways is is called inspiration. We would call it, uh, you know, personal inspiration or revelation. And it also has its advantages and some some limitations. Its limitations are what will God choose to reveal to us. So, uh, just to use a small example, I use in the book, it's unlikely that I am going to learn through inspiration exactly where Moses was standing when he saw the burning bush. Not because God isn't capable of revealing that to me, but because he's not choosing or caring to reveal that to me. It's not that important, right? Um, But there are things that he will reveal to us, and when that's revealed, we can trust in that. And so uh, that revelatory process has things it can answer that the academic process can't and vice versa. And in the case of whether Joseph Smith is inspired or not, it can answer that question, whereas the academic process can't, frankly, because it just doesn't have enough data. And there are a lot of people who are are putting out there that there is information and data to prove it false, uh, you know, that Joseph Smith was not inspired. But they're basing that on faulty assumptions, on lack of information where they do too much with the information and so on. So maybe I can just use an example of that uh, and then we'll come back to this plausibility question. But I can use an example of that that you you mentioned with uh, Professor Rittner. Uh, Professor Rittner is an Egyptologist, uh, who a good Egyptologist. I know him. Uh, and um, he, he had some things to say against the Book of Abraham. Uh, he was – part of that's because of some personal gripes he had with some people. Part of that's because he's just anti-religious in general. Academia leans anti-religious uh, and so on. Um, but 
what I noticed, both in personal correspondence and personal conversations in, in person, like so some correspondences via email, some us sitting down talking with him face to face. I've even had lunch and dinner with him at uh, some conferences and not just he and I, but a group of people. Uh, but he and I have talked in corners of conferences about these issues. Uh, not a great length, but uh, in, I'd say, 15 and 20 minute conversations. And we've corresponded a bit. And I would say this. Professor Rittner understood a great deal about the ancient world and about Egyptology. Like all of us, he could be wrong sometimes, but he was very good. And um, he had some some of his knowledge and his academic training that he applied to the Book of Abraham. And when he applied it to the ancient aspects, actually, I found it fascinating. And I learned a lot from him. And I think I understand the Book of Abraham better. And interestingly, often – uh, you'd be surprised how much he's cited by myself and other Egyptol- LDS Egyptologists because he's he's got some things that he said that we feel like, wow, that both helps us understand and supports the Book of Abraham. But some things that uh, that he did without realizing he was doing it is he took that Egyptological training but not being as familiar, say, with theories and sources about the Book of Abraham. Um, he, he misapplied them. He didn't apply them correctly because, for example, he'd say, okay, well, I, he, he published a beautiful translation of the papyri Joseph Smith had, and he says, now this demonstrates that Joseph Smith is not a prophet because he's operating on the assumption that that's what Joseph Smith translated, whereas we can demonstrate by a, a number of ways, including the historical sources, that Joseph Smith was translating from something different than the fragments we have today. So that's yeah. just a, a misapplication. Another part of this is confirmation bias. If yeah. you you have you have Rittner who sees religion in the ancient world one way, and believing Latter Day Saints who see yes. the papyri a completely different way, it's a little bit like uh, Democrats and Republicans. They each see January sixth of last year the same facts, at least to the extent they want to delve into them and come up with radically different conclusions. Yeah. So it sort of depends on the model you want to put the information into. And I've tried to be really um, vocal and clear about this, that when it comes to this issue, you, you have, you, you're, there is a faith-based choice either way. It, it, people like to pretend that believing that Joseph Smith is not a prophet or being secular is not a faith-based choice, but it is. And so we all need to be clear. Here is the choice I have made, and here is how it colors the facts. And if we'll do that, we can have better conversations. But too often, one group is pretending like there is no choice and there is no bias. Uh, we're both going to, to have to deal with – everyone always has to deal with confirmation bias, everyone. But we do it better if we'll be open about what our starting viewpoint is. Perfect. Thank you. Professor Kara Muelstein's my guest. This is Religion Today. I'm your host, Martin Tanner. We'll be right back after this. Stay tuned. Religion Today with Martin Tanner continues on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. We're back. This is Religion Today. I'm Martin Tanner in studio, Egyptologist and BYU professor. Carrie Muelstein, we're talking about the book of Abraham because there are many people who find things on the internet that to them is a bit troubling. And I wanted to get some information out there to our listeners so that they can have some sources and hear from a genuine expert about why the book of Abraham is inspired and is something that 
we shouldn't worry about as Latter-day Saints. It's something that we should study and see as Scripture uh, without concern and without remorse. A few years ago, uh, there were some online podcasts and so on that were working with Dr. Rittner and, and trying to say all sorts of negative things. And, and I came out publicly and I said, I would be happy to d- debate and discuss these issues with Professor Rittner with some good refereed sources. Uh, and I, I sent a proposal to Professor Rittner and said, let's – uh, here's a book that we could do, we could work on together, or we I proposed a couple different venues. He was very ill at the time uh, and has since passed away from his illness, some kidney problems. But he sent, uh, emailed me back and he said, well, I don't think I can do that given my current situation. Maybe we could do something else and so on. And I said, uh, well, I'm not – you know." I, I, and he was still – uh, proposing kind of a free-for-all podcast kind of thing, which I felt could just turn into more of a shouting match. So I, I emailed back some more proposals and offered to fly out to meet with him about it. And we were in that little bit of a discussion when he passed away. What we have to do is be careful with how we apply the information and be familiar not only with the ancient world, but with Joseph Smith's world and what we as Latter-day Saints believe. And that, I think, brings us to your second point, which is, uh, why should we believe this? Uh, and I talked about knowing through Revelation. And you can see a lot of ancient aspects that match what Joseph Smith said. Now, this to me is very important because for many people to have faith in something, there needs to be an underlying plausibility to yes. it. If you say, I have faith that there are um, men on the moon, well, that, that doesn't have too much plausibility, so faith or purported faith in that doesn't work so well. But here with the Book of Abraham, we do have science, archaeology, Egyptology that can give someone an underlying basis, a factual basis upon which their faith can be built. Uh, absolutely. And so maybe I can mention just a, a couple of things briefly and then one that maybe is a little bit more in depth. So there are little things, little linguistic things. Uh, one that maybe people have heard, it's been used a bit, is uh, Abraham in the book of Abraham talks about the plains of Olishem. Uh, and then we find ancient sources that uh, from the time period of Abraham that talk about a place and, and, and around the area, we can't pinpoint exactly where it is, but around the area where we would kind of expect Olishem to be, or at least where many, there's not complete agreement as to exactly where Abraham is coming from, but where many would expect him to be, we find ancient texts talking about an Ulishum in a different language, right? Well, Ulishum and Olishem are great linguistic matches, uh, or it's an Ulishum. Uh, the U and O and the S and shifts are well attested. We understand that. And you just think, wow, that's either uh, uh, an amazing coincidence or Joseph Smith is inspired. Um, little things like the – oh. And Joseph Smith did not have access to any of no. that when he was alive. Not at all. Not at all. Or the, the names of the gods that uh, he mentions in the in the explanation for facsimile one, uh, all of those have been attested now. Some of them we can, can nail down fairly well. Some of them were just kind of barely attested, but they're all attested, right? Just, again – what an amazing coincidence. Or, for uh, example, uh, the kind of drawing that we have is Abraham, or as facsimile three, where you have this person sitting on the throne that typically as an Egyptologist I would look at and say, oh, that's, that's Osiris. But we actually find a few times where Egyptians label that character as either Abraham or Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, and so, a- a- again, just who would have 
been able to guess all of those things. And again, Joseph Smith would have no ability to come up with that from any available documents to him. Yeah, all of these are within just the last decade to two. Uh, so there's no way. Uh, but maybe I'll go a little more into depth on, on one that, at least for me, currently is very fun because it's what I'm exploring and writing on right now. I'm really right in the midst of an article on this. And and it gives me a chance to talk about also my, my approach is not to um, come out and say, well, let's, let's defend uh, – I'm happy to defend Joseph Smith. I'm happy to defend the Book of Abraham. But my approach has always been – Let's explore. I want to learn. I want to understand the book of Abraham better. I just want to take everything I know from both my my belief perspective and my academic perspective and skills and training and see what we can learn when we put it all together. And what I find is that every time I do that, it ends up as uh, almost collaterally or, or as a byproduct defending uh, uh, the book of Abraham and Joseph Smith because, of course, it's it's true. He is inspired, and so that's what will happen. So the project I've been working on uh, recently, the, the, we have some of the uh, pr- fragments of papyri, only a few, but some of the fragments of papyri that Joseph Smith had. For some of them, including the one that has the drawing effects only one on it, we know who the ancient owner was. So I've been trying to investigate that owner and what he knew, what he did. He was a priest in Thebes uh, in about 200 BC. Uh, and, and so we've been investigating the rituals he was involved in. Uh, and the, the kinds of activities priests in his situation were involved in. And the more I investigate that, the more I realize that this is exactly the kind of person who would be interested not only in the writings of Abraham, and he would have been. We, I, I think we can demonstrate that this is the kind of person that, that there were some people like him who knew about the writings of Abraham, both what we have in the Bible and beyond that. Talk for just a second as you're moving along here why ancient Egyptians would know something about Abraham, who is a Jewish figure? Great question. So at this time period, um, there are a lot of Jews in Egypt, a, a, a whole lot, and they're a fairly influential group. Probably the thar- it seems like they're the third largest um, genetic group in Egypt. Uh, and so uh, they're uh, becoming influential, and these Egyptians are intensely interested in taking religious characters from all the religions around them and incorporating them into their own religious belief, which seems weird to us as monotheists. But if you're a polytheist, then of course that's what you do. Every kind of God you can find out, you use them all. And again, how would Joseph Smith know that Hebrews in ancient Egypt would have something to do with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Yeah. Uh, Not known during his era. You're you're absolutely right. But we know that they did, and they were interested in Abraham in particular and Moses. Those are the two they're most interested in. But he's also – this priest would also be interested because of the rituals he's involved in. He was interested in texts, and we can see this in some of the texts that we we know he had. He was interested in texts that had to do with creation, and he was interested in texts that had to do with protection – from uh, dangerous forces and 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 uh, using uh, divine powers to protect you and save you from from dangerous forces. Well, that's interesting because both of those are in the Book of Abraham, and so I'm having a great time just exploring this. And as I said, at every turn, I find oh, hey, that makes sense why we'd have the Book of Abraham. Oh, that's that makes sense why he would have it. That makes sense why this doctrine would be in there. 
One of the things that people say is, oh, we have the papyri that Joseph Smith took all this from. But it, it, just visually, how much papyri has been recovered and how much was lost? We have a few fragments of papyri, and we know from eyewitnesses that Joseph Smith had two rolls. One of them, they called a shorter roll, though it was still fairly uh, long. And the other was fairly called Fairly long, longer. meaning? Uh, several feet. Okay. Uh, and some estimates are around 20 feet. Okay. And then there was what they called the longer roll. And all of the eyewitnesses agree this is what Joseph Smith is, is using or that that's where the writings of Abraham are and so on. The longer roll seems to have probably been about twice as long. There are all sorts of ways we can use this. There are formulas that have been debated, but, uh, sure, but a trusted and tried formula. There are eyewitness accounts, all sorts of things that give us the idea. There's a fairly substantial roll that we know was burned in the great Chicago fire. And we think this roll would have been 20, 30, 40. Some estimates are 40 feet or more. Okay. And, and some descriptions would match that. And what we have recovered is just a few feet. A few feet. So yeah. there you go. That's how much was missing. Uh, 30 seconds to wrap things up with why you believe the Book of Abraham is genuine ancient writings. So besides the fact that, that there are so many things that make sense to me academically, the real and most important reason, I believe, is what I would urge for everyone to do. And that is, I believe because I study the text of the book of Abraham, and the more I study the text of the book of Abraham, it makes sense both to my mind, but also it gives me the opportunity for the Spirit to teach me. And I would ask and plead with anyone who has questions about the book of Abraham, read whatever you want, but keep reading the text of the book of Abraham. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.